0: Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. You're listening to a Frequency Podcast Network production in association with City News. Maybe it's a resolution that you've made. Maybe it's something that you do every year at this time. Maybe you're really good at sticking to it. And maybe you're not. But at this time of year, after the holiday rush, maybe you dread even looking at your bank accounts and credit card statements. Maybe that's especially true this year. If we don't do enough, Canadians will continue to endure the hardship of high inflation. The Bank of Canada has raised the overnight interest rate again to 4.25%. For some people, you'd have to decide between like food and gas, right? So...
1: I moved here from Los Angeles, and if you had told me at that time that I would be paying LA rent prices in Calgary, I would have thought you were delusional. I absolutely see that the hopes of a soft landing have been crushed now.
0: Look, I won't lie, unless you're rich, 2023 is going to be a tough year financially. And last year was tough enough already. This year, A lot of Canadians will see their rent or mortgage payments rise. They will pay more interest on their loans and outstanding credit cards. Inflation may have slowed, but even though slowed sounds like good news, prices for a lot of basic things that we need to live are still high and some are going higher. This is shaping up to be a year with more economic uncertainty than we've seen in a decade and a half and a higher cost of living than many of us have seen in our adult lives. All of which can make the thought of actually sitting down and planning out a budget for the year to come daunting, to say the least, horrifying, to be more accurate. So what do you need to know to get ahead of this? What should Canadians expect this year from their economy? Is it even possible to make a plan and follow it when so many things are in flux? And can most of us even afford to be saving money anymore? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Shannon Lee Simmons is a Globe and Mail bestselling author. She is a certified financial planner, a chartered investment manager, a certified life coach, and the founder of the award-winning New School of Finance in Toronto. Hey, Shannon. Hello. Why don't we start, since this is a brand new year, by looking backwards? Because, especially from the point of view of people looking after their finances, Mm. I feel like 2022 was really difficult. How complex was it to manage money last year?
1: Really hard. Uh, I don't remember this level of like clients being upset or worried or frustrated, like not with us, just with the situation um, since 2008, 2009 crash, which I also was working on Bay Street at the time during that. Mm-hmm. So it really feels like 2022 is this watershed year where there feels like there's no good decision to be made. Like you can't, like no matter what you do, you're impacted.
0: Why was that? Was it just inflation or, or what?
1: So it's a, it's a combination of things, I think. The major economic things that are happening are, yes, there's inflation. So no matter what, even people who are super wealthy are paying more for food. They're paying more for other goods and services and supply chain issues, all that kind of stuff. So like that's happening across the board. Second of all, um, rising interest rates. So a lot of people in 2020 and 2021 refinanced, if they had an existing home, they refinanced at a lower rate and maybe chose a variable rate a lot of people did major renovations during the pandemic um, or renovations they've always wanted to do because they were at home all the time and borrowed on land and credit that were also, you know, they'll go up with interest rates. Um, And people bought homes for the first time in 2020 and 2021 at elevated prices. Right. That at the time rates were super low and now they're feeling the pinch. So I think the combination of like all the things that are impacting inflation and the actual higher cost of living combined with you know, some people are actually being physically squeezed every single month because of higher interest rates. And I think that there's this opening up of the wallet or or, or spending or consumerism that's happening because, you know, a lot of the mandates from COVID are gone. And so there's also this like, well, I haven't done anything in two years. I haven't done this. I haven't seen my friends in two years. I'm going to fly to wherever I'm going to go here. And so I think it's a combination of all of those that just makes people feel like, Oh, my gosh. And then obviously, there's a the stock market uncertainty. So it's just been a wild ride.
0: Never mind people who owned crypto.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, that to me is the story of 2021. The wild volatility ride and the amount of risks people took, uh, like, shook me, like, truly. Um, and then when it didn't play out, like the heartache on that, and... I feel like the crypto story for what I saw anecdotally anyway started in 2021, right? Because we had the big rises and then the big falls. Yeah. And then continued on into this year too. So I feel like there's a lot of people who got burned on crypto, got burned on a house or a line of credit thing that happened to them, got burned on the cost of living, got burned here, and then maybe even got burned during the pandemic and lost their job and, and were on serve for a while. And it's like it it feels like no matter what you do you're getting hammered down like whack-a-mole financially.
0: So this is why we wanted to talk to you at the beginning of this year. We asked our listeners for a number of things we should cover, and they wanted to know what they could expect from 2023 financially. And before we get to the various aspects of it, You know, you talk a lot about planning ahead, and I know you have classes on budgeting and everything like that. How can we even try to plan a year in advance when everything from inflation to interest rates to the stock market to crypto, like we just talked about, seems so incredibly volatile?
1: Yeah, I think when you're planning in the face of such uncertainty and such volatility, all you can do is like the major rules of thumb that I would say, things I'm personally doing, things that I'm chatting with clients about right now is like, really trying to keep your costs as low as you possibly can, like your overhead. So what can we control in these moments? Well, I can control where my money goes when I choose to spend it. And what are some of the things that I can do to kind of lower my overhead, if anything at all? I know it's like a hard thing to ask a lot of people, but trying to look through and see where you can um, make cuts. And the reason I say that is because there are some elements of our key spending every single month that are kind of repetitive or their bills or they're fixed or whatever. And so when money comes into your checking account, like it's already promised to that place, like it's not a choice. Mm -hmm. And so if there's places that you can reduce in there, whether it's like, um, you know, oh, this is so silly, it feels so small when I say this, but looking at those like subscriptions that happen all the time. We're like looking at... Um, Listen, our
0: finance minister gave us that advice a couple months ago.
1: I know, I know. It's because we're getting desperate for good tips. And I I, I say that because it's literally an all hands on deck situation. Do whatever you can, look wherever you can for any sort of savings because if less of your money is promised every single month to some other bill, then at least it gives you a little bit more control and a little bit more flexibility And I think that's what we're really looking for is those key things. If if there's anywhere to reduce at all, do it. And I think that's it. So it's like, it might feel nominal, which I I think it kind of is in the face of such like wild costs. But if there's anything that you can do, we're at that situation where it's like, just do it. Mm -hmm. So try to reduce where you can. Um, And then I think the other thing is, is like, I have a lot of people pumping the brakes on any savings. And I think that's a good idea. Really? Yeah.
0: That seems like sacrilege for a financial planner to say.
1: I know, I know. And it would seem like sacrilege for me to say, except for the fact that if you're pumping money into an RSP and taking on credit card debt month after month, or paying off a credit card with high interest rate or ever increasing line of credit debt, right? are you really winning? And I think it adds to chaos. I think it adds to a feeling of out of control. And I think it adds to feeling like you're bad with money. When none of that stuff's true, it's just like the cost of living has gone up. Maybe your mortgage has gone up by a few hundred bucks a month, Mm -hmm. and like that's that's just math. And so, a lot of what I've been doing too is like giving people permission to pump the brakes on an RSP contribution for a few months or an RESP contribution for a month. And for everyone who just rolled their eyes, I have kids, I love my kids, but like it's okay to do that for a few months, and like like pump the brakes on those just to feel like you have a little bit of control and take the money that used to go to those places and either use it so you don't go into credit card debt every month or put put it into an emergency account if you don't have one. So I feel like an emergency account and not going into credit card debt trumps an RSP or an RESP or a TFSA right now.
0: I know that you're not technically an economist. I also know that you're chartered and you've worked on Bay Street and you're certified. And I know you talk to a lot of people in the industry. And I've talked to a bunch of people about this and the opinions kind of vary. So i just love to ask you, are we headed into or already at the beginning of a recession? And, And if we are, how does that impact your work and what you tell clients?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think we are. I mean, everyone's calling for a recession. How about that? And it would make sense. I think that we could be headed towards a recession. And I think that people are already responding to that. Sometimes I feel like, and this is just what I feel, this isn't me predicting anything. I feel like sometimes there's a certain level of um, self-fulfilling prophecy because if we are worried about a recession, we start pulling back. So what I'm already seeing people doing is like, well, I was gonna go on a trip, but now I'm not. Well, I was gonna spend this money, but now I'm not just in case, just in case, just in case. And then that money doesn't get spent in the economy. So it is savvy and smart to do that. But at the same time, I'm like, "Uh oh where are we headed? I think we are headed towards some bumpy road. I'll say that. And I think that we're already in it, uh, like bumpy road-wise, but I think like a technical recession, we might head towards one. And if we do, then I think that the same things that you're doing with your finances now are the same things that you'll do then. Trying to secure income So how secure is your income? I think that this is a huge thing that everyone should be looking at right now going into the new year because your future cash flow is your biggest asset. Mm -hmm. Period, full stop. And so how secure is that income? Are you you a person that pays into EI? And if you got laid off, what would that look like? Running those numbers. And you know what? Sometimes that actually makes it less scary because you're like, oh... Well, I could actually be okay for X amount of months, or while well, I looked for another job, or oh, I could actually be okay. Will that happen? And it takes some of the scary out of getting laid off. Right. Other times, it might be like, oh, if that happened to me, uh, I would need a little bit more than that. So maybe we start saving for that just in case, so I feel like I can sleep at night. So maybe running some projections on what would happen if you if your income tapped, like income got turned off, and if you're self-employed, like if you had a slow season, like are you ready for that? So a lot of that kind of projecting out, what would that look like if that happened to me and how secure is that? And then another thing that I think is good practice is if it does look like there's a lot of disruption headed your way, are there other ways that you can quickly pivot and like make some money in case the worst case scenario happens? So really, a lot of it is like prepping, <laughs> um, just a, a just in case mentality of how you might pivot. And some people listening might have already had practice with this during the pandemic, right? Like their income tap got turned off immediately. And then it was like, they had to survive until CERB came in and then it was, they just had CERB. So they might be like, Hey, I did it once. I can do it again. Other people may have never experienced something like this. So, um, you just want to kind of think about what your income would look like if it got disrupted. I think that's a major thing to be thinking about. And then kind of taking some steps to, um, cushion the blow if that does happen.
0: We kind of talked about planning for the future during volatility in the big picture, but what about specifically? And here I'm thinking of this is the time of year when people are looking at what they've spent and trying to set out budgets, Uh, whether they're weekly budgets or monthly budgets or whatever. How can you set out a budget given that... The price of the basics can fluctuate so much month to month. You mentioned groceries; I'll also throw in gasoline. Anything to do with kids goes up and down these days. Yeah. Like, how do you how do you make a budget, whether you can stick to it or not?
1: I think it's one of the hardest things to do with money. Period. Full stop. I think that's why every financial expert is always talking about a budget. Um, because I can sit here and wax poetic about like the stock market, but if you don't have money to put towards that at the ever, at the end of every month, it's like mood information the first thing you want to do is separate your money between money that is fixed and money that has to be flexible. And that doesn't mean optional versus not optional. Like groceries are not optional, but they have to be flexible. To mm-hmm. your point, we don't know exactly what we're going to spend on groceries next week or gas. So that doesn't mean that I don't have to buy those things. It just means that they're I can't predict them. Some elements of your spending are predictable. So your mortgage payment is probably predictable to a degree with interest rates. Yeah. There's that or your rent or your cell phone bill or your utilities your property tax your insurance premiums those things are predictable they're going to be approximately the same amount every single month no matter what so there's let's tally those all up what are those predictable kind of fixed costs in our life and then what's the money coming in every month so really figuring out after tax what is the amount of money i have to use every single month and people mm-hmm. get caught up on this like it feels easy like that should be something like we'll just look at your paychecks but I have so many people who are just saying something like, oh, I get paid every other week. And so they just, you know, they multiply it by 26 paychecks a year and divide it by 12. Well, no, because only 10 months of the year do you actually get two paychecks and only twice do you get these three and it makes it look like you have more money than there is. So really figuring out what do I have, what's my working capital every month, then deducting all those things that are fixed and predictable and then whatever's left over, that's your discretionary spending for all the things, for groceries, for gas, for clothes, for whatever. And I think that looking at our money like, okay, this is what I have for the rest of the paycheck to blow to zero as long as I'm fed and my family's fed and they're clothed. It doesn't matter if it has to, a little bit more goes to groceries or gas and a little bit less to this this month and then or this week and then next week or next paycheck. It goes a little bit more to like boots because my kid ran out of boots and like a little bit less to whatever. It's like, here's the amount of money I have to blow to zero every paycheck. That's not a bill. And I just have to know my limit spend within it.
0: What about the other side of that? Um, I know that you have a lot of clients and I mean, there's just a lot of people, specifically, uh, you know, younger folks who are working in the gig economy. How do you make a budget? You mentioned, you just mentioned, right, like add up your paychecks and divide by 12 or whatever. How do you do that when you don't know how much money you're even going to be pulling in? And especially because those gig economy jobs can vary with the strength of the economy, right? Less people be ordering takeout or, you know, discretionary spending.
1: Yeah, I think that we specialize in self employed people. I am a self employed person. And then, you know, I grew up in a family business. So this vault, this up and down is like a real thing um, to be financially planning for. So the best way that I can say, how do you make a budget is number one, I think that you more than a person who's an employee, you have to kind of have a bit of a cushion if you can. So really working towards saving up like one month worth of like housing. So whether it's a mortgage payment or whether it's a rent or whatever obviously, it would be great to have three to six months of living expenses. This is what everyone wants me to say. But I really struggle to find someone who can actually just sit on like $15,000. Like, yeah. I, I don't know who that person is. And so, so like, sure, I can tell you that rule of thumb. But if you're listening to this and you're like, I'm never going to be able to save up three months worth of living expenses. Like try to get to one. Try to get to ones so that you can breathe there's like a little bit of a cushion, just a little bit of a blow so it 's not so hand to mouth if you 're self employed because why, why I say that is the goal where you 're aiming for is that at least if you have one month of bills covered, then you can start prepping for the month the ahead of, ahead of you, and then you can do things on a percentage basis, which is really the goal. For somebody who's self-employed, hmm. but only if you've got that cushion to kind of kickstart you, right? So this is maybe something that you do during your, after your busy season, not necessarily mid-slow season, right? So once, once there's actual cash flow coming in. And the reason I say that is that what you would have to do as a self-employed person is kind of forecast. And this is our, this is our lot self-employed people. You forecast your life and you forecast what you think sales are going to be. You forecast Hmm. what you think business expenses are going to be. You forecast what you think your personal expenses are going to be. And okay, fine. Here's the percentage of my, of my money that has to go to tax. Here's the percentage of my money that has to stay in my business for my business expenses. And here's the percentage of my income that can actually come out of my business and pay for my rent or pay for my mortgage or pay for my car payment, or whatever. And so then we kind of use those percentages. So then every time money comes in, you know, 20% goes to the tax account, 20% stays in the business account, and then 60% comes into my personal life. And sometimes it's up and sometimes it's down. But if you've got that starting level, that basis underneath, you don't have to panic that you're not going to have enough.
0: So let me ask you a question then, because you just mentioned it, um, that you've been doing this for 15 years. (laughs) Interest rates have never been this high. Inflation's never been that bad in all this time. What have you done differently?
1: Oh my goodness. So I think, so telling people to stop saving has not been a thing I've ever done. Right. The only time I've ever said to people, pump the brakes on your long-term savings has been if they're about to go on like parental leave or they lose their job. And so again, up until the pandemic, And again, I was just starting, I was only in my second or third year when the 2008-2009 crash happened. And I was working on Bay Street with high net worth clients. It was a different financial planning situation until I started doing new school. And so it wasn't a lot of like pump the brakes in that world. After that, financial, the Great Recession, which was that one, and then the last bit of time here that I've been at new school... I've only ever told people that when there's income disruption and it really is just like losing a job or going on parental leave or maybe even during day, high daycare cost years where there's just not enough cash flow and you're like, okay, I give you permission to pump the brakes on savings so that you can like not go into debt, mm-hmm. okay? That wouldn't be something that I would say to two people who are fully working, fully like fully incomes coming in, normal incomes, but it's just the cost of life has gone up so much unexpectedly that there's just not enough Room to make it all happen, and we're really looking at a situation where it's credit card debt at like twenty percent, or stop saving into a TFSA. Like it's like there's just we can't fry all the fish. Do you know what I mean? We got to pick the biggest one. I also, it's been so long since I've been excited about a GIC, and like for the first time, I'm like, hey, look at these GICs! Like oh my god, because for a decade it's been like a nothing in a GIC. Like there's no interest, so. That is something to be excited about from like the higher interest rates for savers anyways. Um, They can get excited about that. So that's been something that's shifted as well. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, the big one too is that over the last decade, a lot of people have been like the, should I invest or should I pay off my mortgage? And when you're locked in at like 2.1% on a mortgage, it's really easy to make the case for investing. But not so much now, right? Like, so if you've got extra money, and your mortgage rate has gone up to 5% or 5.2% or whatever, it's like, this is not the same with volatile stock markets. This is not the same um, as it was two years ago, where it was like, oh, it's a no-brainer. You don't know, take the risk. And yeah. so I think that's been a big shift too, is like, you know, utilizing savings and money to pay off mortgages in a major way that like, you know, five years ago, I would have been like, oh, well, why don't you, why don't we invest that for the long run? And then, because um, you've got this really low interest rate and like, give it a shot to invest. like there's been major shifts in the way we give advice and how we're talking about money on a day-to-day basis.
0: Shannon, thank you for all this, especially for permission to stop saving, which I didn't think I was going to get. Probably a lot of people listening didn't think they would get. Before I let you go, can you give me one thing that you can say for certain about this coming year from a financial point of view?
1: I think the upcoming year will be a big adjustment for everyone, but I think it will be less up and down, like less surprises in the upcoming year. So it's going to be tough, but it's not going to be as filled with surprises. That's what I think, for certain. And I will say this, it's everybody who's listening that might be like, what kind of financial expert says stop saving? I'm saying stop saving if you're going into credit card debt every month. That's what I'm saying, stop saving. I'm not saying stop saving because you want to have like...
0: Because I want a PS5?
1: Yeah, exactly. I'm saying if you're in a sitch where the cost of living has gone up so much that you can't make ends meet, but you're still doing your automatic payments. Like, okay, you can pause, you can pump the brakes for one year and it's not going to make or break retirement. It's not going to make or break your kid's education one year. Readjust after that.
0: Thanks again for this. We'll talk soon. Thanks for having me. Shannon Lee Simmons, a certified financial planner, a chartered investment manager, a certified life coach, and the author of the new book, No Regret Decisions, that helps readers make sound choices when emotional and financial stakes are Hi. That was The Big Story. For more, you can head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. You can find all sorts of episodes about how much things cost. Something tells me we'll be doing a few more in the months to come. If there's something in particular about this economy you would like to know, something we haven't considered or something you haven't seen in whatever financial publication you read or watch, let us know. We'll try to get to the bottom of it. You can, of course, find us on Twitter at the Big Story FPN. You can write to us with episode suggestions, hello, at TheBigStoryPodcast.ca. And you can call us, 416-935-5935, and leave a message. I just want to say thanks to all of you who wrote in or left us messages at the end of the year to say thank you for a year of podcasts. We are looking forward to another one in June of this year, we we've been around for five years. That's an insane amount of time to be talking into this microphone. Thank you all for your continued support and for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow. Hi there, I'm Gavin Crawford. I'm a writer, an actor, and a comedian. And for the last eight or nine years, I have been navigating life with my mother's increasing dementia. Has it been sad? Yeah. Has it been funny? Also, yeah. That's what my brand new podcast series, Let's Not Be Kidding, is about. It's the true story of my life as a comedian, my mom, and dementia. Let's Not Be Kidding, with me, Gavin Crawford. A new seven-part series from CBC Podcasts, available now.